This is recording number 10746 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the third message in the Embracing Your Destiny series. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 20, 2008. This message is titled, Surrender Self. children of Israel in the beginning of the book of Joshua are parked at the threshold of the land of promise. They've been thinking about it. They've been hearing about it. They've been moving towards it for 40 years. They are now at the threshold ready to move in. And in fact, last week in our discussion, we talked about how they actually crossed the Jordan. And uh, we're going to pick it up from there this morning. But I want I just don't want to go any farther without reminding you that there is a place of God's destined purposes for your life too. And mine. We have a God in heaven who, ha- who thinks about you constantly. Never, you are never out of his mind and thoughts. His eye is upon you 24-7, 365. Because he was writing your future before you were born. In your mother's womb, the Bible says. And he intends to be available to you to fulfill all of that, all that he has planned for you. And so, it's my desire that we, like the children of Israel, stop thinking about it. Stop hoping for it. Stop knowing it's out there somewhere and one of these days we'll get around to it. And actually cross the threshold and begin to live in that place of God's purposes for your life. These are the things that we are talking about in the course of this series. We've talked about faith, that embracing your destiny, actually living in that place, it involves facing your future. Last week we talked about that it involves charting your course. And today we're going to talk about how it, it means surrendering self. I asked you to turn to Joshua. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And I'm going to ask you to start reading with me at verse 1. We're not going to read uh, all of uh, those verses, but we're going to read a number of them. Follow along with me from verse 1. So it was when the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. This verse is simply saying that after the Jews crossed over the Jordan River, the people, the Canaanites, the people who, who were trespassing in, in the land of promise, who were uh, wanting to keep the people of Israel from experiencing and living in the place of their destiny and the place of their promise, uh, they were uh, afraid of the people of Israel. They saw how God had parted or stopped up the waters of the Jordan River so that the people could walk across on dry la- uh, ground. They'd heard about this, and it says their hearts melted uh, with fear of how God was going to 
uh, be strong on behalf of these people. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. Now, I doubt whether that hill was called the hill of the foreskins before this event took place. And likely not a place you'd want to, you know, build your home or something. Uh, Now, I realize as we because we're going to talk some this morning about circumcision. And I realize that it's not the most comfortable of subjects. And the first thought that sometimes people would have uh, when you broach this subject is, oh, my gosh. Is this, do we have just this bloody, bloodthirsty, angry God in heaven and, and he demands these kinds of, of uh, primitive rituals and so forth? And the answer to that is no. And we're not even today talking about the physical act of circumcision, but in the New Testament it talks about how God is really after us knowing what it is to have a circumcised heart. So we're going to talk about what that means because it's extremely important. As the people of Israel have crossed the Jordan, they are now in the place of their destiny. And they are um, not far from the first challenge to their faith, Jericho. And uh, it's a fortified city they can't uh, ignore. They're going to have to, to deal with Jericho and the people there. And the Lord says to Joshua, Joshua, before we can take one more step, before we can go any farther, we have to deal with this issue. And it is, it is paramount. It is a huge, huge issue that um, all of us need to confront in terms of uh, our being able to see God fulfill his destined purposes in our lives. I want you to notice here that verse 3 says, Joshua made flint knives, circumcised the sons of Israel at, at the hill of the foreskins. Um, excuse me, I, I, uh, I meant verse 2, where it says uh, the Lord was asking Joshua to, to uh, circumcise the sons of Israel, Israel again the second time. Now, <laughs> that's sort of impossible, right? But it's referring, it's a reference it's talking about uh, the fact that the uh, uh, Isra- Israelites, while they've been wandering, ever since they left Egypt, while they've been wandering in the, in the wilderness, have not fulfilled their covenant or agreement with God to circumcise uh, their sons. And so um, there, there was uh, an initial uh, command of the Lord, to, which we're going to talk about in a minute, to their forefather, their ancestor Abraham, about uh, circumcision. That was the initial uh, circumcision. And then that, that rite was carried on all the way through until the people of, of Israel left Egypt. And then it's, it uh, ceased or disappeared. The people didn't attend to it. And so now the Lord is saying, Joshua, we've got to reinst- inst- uh, reinstate this practice. It's important. So that's what it means when it says um, uh, circumcised a second time. We're going to read verse 9 in just a minute, but before we do that, I'm going to make a few comments. Surrendering self. Embracing your destiny means surrendering self, and the first of these self 
things that need to be surrendered is the illusion of self-gratification. Now, I'm not a fan of the Rolling Stones. I never have been. I don't really care for their style of music. Um, Mick Jagger is not, uh, you know, he's not somebody I, I pay a whole lot of attention to. In fact, I'm not really sure anything that he's ever said or sung or did uh, I would approve of, except for one thing I know that he said was true, and that is you can't get no satisfaction. It's true. But we, a lot of us think you can or maybe we're the exception, or we, we think that if we could get enough money, enough food, enough sex, enough escape, enough entertainment, enough position or power, enough fame, enough, even just a, enough peace in our life, if we could ever get our schedule toned down enough so that we actually, I was talking to someone yesterday, and we were talking about their free time, and, and uh, she began to chuckle because there isn't any. She said, my free time is my commute. I commute for free time. <laughs> and I know what that's like, and so sometimes we think, well, if I could ever just get my ducks in a row so that, uh, you know, uh, all of the, the torment of, of just trying to keep my schedule in line would stop, that somehow I would, I would reach this place of gratification or self-fulfillment. Listen, it's impossible. We of ourselves cannot attain that. It's an illusion. It's a, it's a myth. It's a mirage. You can't get enough money. Talk to Howard Hughes about that. You can't get enough money. You can't get enough fame. You can't get enough time. I mean, we all think we can, but you cannot to satisfy the, the desires of the flesh. Now, when I use the term flesh, a lot of us tend to think of, you know, um, oh, you know, sexually related uh, passions or drives or whatever. But it's much more than that. The flesh drives, the desires of the flesh drive us in so many ways. But if we continue to let, to be driven by those those uh, desires, those passions, we will spend our life for nothing because you can't get no satisfaction. It can't be done. It cannot be done um, in, uh, uh, in and of ourselves. Now, those desires that God has placed with us, many of those desires God has placed in us are all fine and good, but they, they are designed to be within the context of a, fulfilled within the context of a relationship with God. He, intend, he didn't give us those desires cruelly. He gave them to us so that he could fulfill them in the proper and appropriate and righteous and um, eternal way that he, he intended. A lot of times, though, people, as I said, think of destiny as being about uh, receiving blessing, but destiny is about being a blessing. Receive, coming to a point of, of living in that place of God's destined purposes for your life does not mean that it's all about you. And that all the things that you desire will be fulfilled. God's destined purposes for your life have to do 
uh, with you becoming a blessing in this world. And listen, there isn't anything as fulfilling, nothing as rewarding, nothing that causes your life to, to uh, beat with purpose than knowing that you are part of something God is up to in touching the lives of other people. Now, destiny began with Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He was, he came, God led him and his wife, Sarah, to uh, Canaan, to the place that the people of Israel are moving into now again uh, in the book of Joshua. But he led them there um, hundreds of years before. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you your seed, actually, is what he said. I'm going to make your seed a blessing to the whole world. I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to, through you, bless the whole world. That was God declaring what destiny is all about. Abraham, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to the whole world. Now, it had to do with... Uh, 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 you know, Abraham's seed, so there, there needed to be offspring. And, at, and at, the, at that point, Abraham and Sarah had not been able to have children. They had been, Sarah had been barren. And, and so wrapped up all in that was a promise that Abraham would have a son, a child. And when God made this promise to Abraham that your seed through you, the, the world is going to be blessed. All people everywhere for all time. Um, he was making a promise about Abram's bless, uh, uh, destiny. And he was in a sense saying, Abraham, I want to inseminate the world through you with my life. Kind of a graphic illustration, but I didn't come up with it. God said that. That's what he was saying when he said to Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to bless the whole world. The Bible talks about you and me being grafted into the vine of that promise and of that destiny. So the, the handful of us here this morning, we carry the weight of that same promise, that same destiny. God wants to infuse the parts of the world you inhabit with his blessing through you. The places where you work, the places where you live. God wants to enter those places with his blessing, with his life through you. Touching others through you. That's, that's what destiny is about. Now, God said, okay, Abraham, I'm making this promise to you as a symbol of the seal or the, the um, uh, <coughs> commitment of this contract, your agreement with it. I'm, I'm asking you to circumcise yourself and all the male members of your household. And he didn't have any children at this point, but that meant his servants, etc. And then it was to be a... Uh, uh, a part of um, the understanding of what was expected of every male child born to Abram's offspring. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. First of all, Abraham is 99 years old, hasn't had any children. Sarah is 90. Now, all of this involves, a, all of this hinges on them having a baby, right? And God says the symbol of this agreement 
is that you take a knife to the equipment. <laughs> this is a serious, uh, serious thing God is asking them to do. Uh, but f- the faith that it took to surrender to that, to seal this agreement, was critical to God fulfilling that, that promise. And so circumcision became the symbol of agreement with God concerning destiny. And it symbolizes it this way. The cutting away of the flesh and revealing the source of life. God, your life is not about the fleshy stuff that covers so much of who you are. These fleshly desires and passions. Your life is not about that. It's about God revealing himself in a world that needs his love and his power, his wisdom, and so desperately through you. So that's why circumcision in this context was such an important thing. And that's why um, uh, God says to Joshua, we can't go any further until we reestablish this. Now, look with me at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal, which means rolling, to this day. God says, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. So what does that have to do with anything? And what does it have to do with us? Well, people of destiny can become slaves. The people of Israel who had been, were the recipients of this promise that they would be a blessing to the whole world found themselves slaves in Egypt. And it's hard to identify with absolute certainty how long they were slaves in Egypt. We're pretty, pretty certain about how long they resided in Egypt. But for a lot of that time, they were honored guests in Egypt. Jo- uh, Joseph had been the savior of the Egyptian people. Uh, many of you know that story. And uh, preserved um, uh, the, 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 the uh Government, the services, uh, everything revolved around this this world dominating force of those days uh, by um, you know God's wisdom, and so Joseph's family, the Israelites, the sons of Jacob, who were who was a grand uh, great grandson, or excuse me, grandson of Abram, have come to Egypt and they're honored guests. At some point along there, the tide turned. And the Egyptians saw them as a threat and enslaved them. But even though we can't determine the exact point in time when that transition took place, we're pretty certain that they were at least slaves in Egypt for the better part of 100 years. That's a long time to be slaves. And that mentality, that slavery mentality, had overtaken them. You can't live uh, in that context of slavery for generations and not uh, have it seep into your very the very fabric of how you understand yourself Um, and so they had they no longer saw themselves as people of destiny they saw themselves as slaves that's important to understand because slavery strips 
a person of any awareness of destiny. The hopes of a slave are all about, if you're a slave, the only thing that, the thing that consumes your mentality is trying to find a little respite in this world, trying to, to uh, get a full belly, trying to go a day without getting beaten, looking forward to maybe having a day of rest, uh, a, just a little bit of the satisfaction of some of these basic, you know, uh, fleshly desires. And your whole life is wrapped up in that pursuit. And you no longer think of yourself as being a world changer. You no longer think of yourself as being the, the representative of God in the world, a source through whom he wants to bless all people everywhere. They lost that. And so Joshua, uh, Joshua uh, God says to Joshua, Joshua, this day, I have rolled back the reproach of, it, of Egypt from the people. That's what that means. The reproach of Egypt was the leftover sense of, of uh, being slaves, not being people of destiny. Amen. Now, I think you can make the connection. But people who live their lives thinking they can satisfy the flesh through self-effort... The vain attempt at that pursuit causes a form of slavery. Some of us in this room, certainly people we know, live their lives with, with a slave mentality. Slave to the passion and drives of the flesh. And that, that's the highest you could hope for. That's, that's the best you can get is a bigger house and a fancier car and a, and a more impressive title and a, you know, a vacation now and then, early retirement, the opportunity to play more golf. You know, those are the things that are that's the best you get in this world. And they don't think of themselves as people of destiny because slavery changes your mindset. God said on that day as they were there on the western shore of the Jordan River ready to go and, and, and take possession of their land of promise, you're not slaves. You're people of destiny. You're people of destiny. And, and with the reestablishment of this very graphic symbol, symbol of the cutting away of the flesh and the revealing of the of the source of God's life in a, in a symbolic way, that rolled, God said, I'm rolling back the reproach of Egypt. And I think it's just wonderful to know that slaves can become people of destiny. People of destiny can become slaves, but on this day, the slaves became people of destiny. So forsake the illusion of self-gratification. Another one of the self things that need to be surrendered as we embrace our destiny is, um, the, uh, is we need to resist the deception of self-sufficiency. So follow along with me now as we read uh, verse 10. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. 
And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the Passover of the, uh, excuse me, on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. A very important transition is happening here. For 40 years, the children of Israel have been fed by God. Six days a week, they'd walk out their tent flap and there would be bread on the ground. Don't ask me to explain it. I cannot. And they gathered that and, and it became the staple of their diet for 40 years. Now, uh, I imagine that for the first month or so, it was like this miracle of miracles. You walk outside and there's food on the ground. And it's like, hallelujah, how does this happen? God's blessing is on us. But before long, you've boiled it, you've baked it, you've fried it, you've pureed it, you've <laughs> juiced it, <laughs> and you're done with it. 40 years. Don't you imagine that some of the spectacular uh, wonder of that event has worn off. And now, and then it says on this day, now they've crossed, they're in the land of destiny, they celebrate Passover, and the Bible says the manna stops. They eat of the produce that's there, so they're, they're eating crops that others have planted, and they will go on and plant their own crops. And from there on, they're going to be harvesting their, the fruit of their own labors. So an important transition is taking place. And it's important for us to know that we are not responsible for our own self-sufficiency. I guess that's kind of redundant, your own self-sufficiency. But self-sufficiency is a, is a lie. It's a deception. Let me tell you a story about a car. Um, Sue and I, for... The f first many years of our life together, we had a long string of very pathetic automobiles. They were piles of junk. We couldn't afford anything. I mean, we were early. We had early in our ministry. We made very little money, and so we were always dependent on on uh, you know the the leftovers that people would give us in terms of their cars, or you know just. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of imagery coming to my mind right now. And one day, we, the Lord just hauled off and blessed us with a brand spanking new minivan. And I got to tell you, it was like walking out the tent flap on the first day the man is on the ground. And you're like, hallelujah. We can climb in the car, turn the ignition, and know it's going to start and take us someplace. You know? And I mean, we just, we, we put, you know, I think 130,000 miles on that thing in like four or five years. We were just going everywhere we could go in that car. But you know what? After a while, we forgot how mercifully God had provided that for us. That he had supplied for us. And it became in our, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't um, as thought out as this, as I'm going to say it. But, but in the back of our minds became sort of a notion that it, it's just, we did this. And we could do it again. 
And I was sitting in the car of a friend, a brand new car that my friend had. Had this fabulous sound system and quad seating. And I, and I thought, I got to have one of these. I could do this. I have credit now. <laughs> so I went out and bought me one of those things. You know what? It was, like, it was such a such a boneheaded, stupid thing to do. Uh, To make make a long story short, I ended up having to pay for that car twice because we leased it. So we we paid all all those lease payments. And then because we'd gone over on the mileage that the lease requires, we ended up having to buy it. So I paid for the car twice. And and I had to have the the, um, engine completely rebuilt twice. The transmission completely rebuilt twice. The final days of that car occurred when my son phoned me from out in the middle of the Central Valley out there on Interstate 5 someplace. And he said, Dad, the car is dead. (laughs) And I said, well, shoot it, please. Put it out of its misery. He and his buddies got on their skateboards and skated down Interstate 5. I don't know how far they had to go to find a a, a payphone and call me. And uh, I had, honestly, this is the honest truth. I had to pay somebody to take that car away. That's how bad it was. But that's because you get in this mindset, I can do this. Now, let me ask you this question. When the children of Israel were receiving manna every day, the absolute gift of God, and now that they become uh, more partners with him and and they are planting and reaping crops, crops, is there any difference whatsoever in terms of who's blessing them? Who is the source of their food? No. No. When God was simply causing manna to form on the ground, it was God. When God was allowing them to partner with him in the planting and the reaping of crops, weren't they still dependent upon him for rains and for soil conditions and all of those things? Yes. God is their source. God is their source. My wife and I are both employed now. But we don't make our own way. Every dime we get is a gift from God. Now, as we've uh, progressed in terms of our living out our destiny, we we become more and more partners with God. But that's that's something He's allowing us to experience. It's not me becoming my my own source. It's a lie to let yourself begin to think that way. It's always God's grace that sustains us. Always God's grace that sustains us. And I already said this, but I'll put it up on the screen. Destiny develops partnership, but not independence. I did get it up there. Now, follow along with me as we finish this up. Verses 13 
14 and 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. The last of these self things that need to be surrendered as we make our way into that place of God's destined purposes for our lives is the, we need to reject the folly of self-determination. Self-determination. So Joshua is out there. It, it doesn't say what he's doing, but I can only imagine he's got the responsibility of leading these people forward. And they are face-to-face -face with, as I've already said, this obstacle of the city of Jericho. And he's, he's got the report from the spies. He knows that the walls are very thick. He knows that the, the place is highly fortified. And I'm sure he's going through strategy and probably feeling just a little bit nervous and unsettled and anxious about the whole thing knowing that it's going to take God's uh, uh, power to, to move that obstacle and yet at the same time wondering, will he do it? Just like you and me, when we encounter con uh, difficult circumstances and we know we need God. We need God. And yet, you know, we don't know. If, I mean, you know there's part of us that doesn't know if he's going to come through for us or if he is, when he's going to come through for us or how. And, and there's that uncertainty and that anxiety. And I can only imagine that Joshua's out there just taking some time alone to think this through and to ponder it and to pray and to wrestle with it. And all of a sudden he sees a man. With a, and uh, it says that, that this man um, uh, is, uh, has his sword, his sword drawn. So he's a warrior. Uh, it's pretty clear that this man is a pre-incarnate uh, visitation of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord, Jesus. The reason that that's clear is because he receives Joseph's worship. An angel wouldn't do that. Because this man says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. A number of things. So... So the Lord has come. I'm the captain of the Lord's army, he says. Amen. So jo Joshua sees this, this man. He pulls his sword. And he says, are you for us or against us? <laughs> I love the answer. No. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't answer Joshua's question. Are you for me or against me? No. Wrong question, Joshua. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I have come. Amen. The question is not, am I for you or against you? The question is, are you with me Amen. or against Amen. me? Amen. Have you ever done that? God, are you for me or against me? <laughs> Wrong question. 
I'm the captain of the Lord's army, the commander of the hosts of the Almighty. Are you for me? Joshua hits the ground at this point. And he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? This is important. Destiny is incompatible with arrogance. And when you raise your sword to the most high with that arrogance that says, are you for me or against me? And listen, I've done it. I've done it. If you really loved me, why did this happen? What are you trying to do to me? God, God is great. God does not strike Joshua dead. (laughs) God is merciful and gracious. But he can't allow us to continue in that mindset of self-determination. I make the plans. I know what's best. We, We cannot inherit destiny with that kind of arrogance. Humility is the posture of destiny.